So we've, uh, ooh, gone all weird again. <laughs> You're, is that okay, Jay? Yeah. So um, over these past few weeks, we have thought about prayer and evangelism. We've talked about apologetics and evangelism. That feels just so loud. Um, last week, we were thinking about serving and evangelism. And oh my goodness, this has been so difficult to... Yeah? Is that no? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. So uh, this has been really difficult to think of a title for, one that didn't scare everybody off. So the kind of old-fashioned title for this form of uh, evangelism was power evangelism. It always made you feel like you had to get your Superman outfit or your Wonder Woman outfit before you started whatever your preference was in order to engage in this kind of evangelism. So I ended up with a title which is not original to me, and virtually nothing I ever say is original to me, which is this, Everyday Supernatural. Everyday Supernatural. And just as we were saying last week, our model, our example is Jesus. It's Jesus. We are following in the footsteps of Jesus. And if he hasn't done it, then we shouldn't be doing it either. He is our model and example. Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, who was sent by the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit to proclaim the kingdom of God in word and deed. Did you get that? Jesus, the Son of God, sent by the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit to proclaim the kingdom in word and deed. And if you look with me to Luke chapter 4, we're going to be looking at a whole bunch of things this morning. After the uh, temptations, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He went and taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. And he went to Nazareth, to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he read the scroll of Isaiah, and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then a bit later on in that chapter, in verse 42, it says, At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him. And when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also, because that is why I was sent. Jesus is our example, isn't he? And we could have chosen any number of passages to talk about Jesus and everyday supernatural. But I want us just for a moment to look at this story, the story that's recorded in John 4 of Jesus and the woman at the well. Now, it may not have been particularly normal for Jesus to have been at that well uh, in the middle of the day, but he was doing something normal. He was getting a drink of water because it was hot. He was just in the course of his normal day. And the Samaritan woman came along and this is not a sermon on that. And Jesus started talking to her, said, please, can you give me a drink of water? She says, if you knew who I was, you wouldn't be asking me for a drink of water. Jesus asked her an opening question, which seems like a completely normal question. Where's your husband? She said, I don't have one. At that moment, there is this 
from what our perspective, a supernatural insight that Jesus has for this woman where he says, no, you don't. You've had five husbands and the person you're with now is not your husband. Can you imagine what that did to that woman on that day? Not only had she been asked for a glass of water from this man, but he knew everything about her. She says that. Come and see this man who knew, tell me everything I ever did. It was that moment as Jesus spoke that very simple word to her that it unlocked the whole of her life. He talked to her. He asked her questions. He listened to her questions. He explained about himself. But in the end, it wasn't about her theology, where she should worship, the kind of woman she was, or even the glass of water. It was about him, Jesus, the Messiah. And that word opened up that conversation that led that woman to know Jesus Christ for who he really was. But you know, Jesus teaches us so much by looking at his life. He is always listening to the Father. If you go to John chapter 5 and verse 19, Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. And then if you turn over to John chapter 8. It's really the second half of verse 28. But Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be. That I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. Well, we're going to come back to that in a moment, but it's so important that we see in Jesus that he is always watching what the Father is doing. He is always listening to what the Father is saying, and he does only what the Father is doing and what the Father is saying. Jesus is never formulaic. Now, I've been to a number of seminars over the years on how to do this kind of evangelism, and there's some very helpful things that come through that. But often they're formulas. If you just do it like this and this and this, then it'll work. The problem is, in my experience, it hasn't always worked. But we've had this formula. But Jesus isn't like that. Sometimes he reaches out and touches people. Sometimes, like Simon's mother-in-law, he reached out and held her hand and helped her to rise from the bed. Sometimes he just speaks to someone and he expects them to do what he's telling them. On one occasion, he got mud and spat in it and rubbed it all over people's eyes, uh, the blind man's eyes. I mean, I'm not sure that I'm signing up for that one. That doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun. Sometimes he says, I'm telling you what's already happened. You are well. You are healed. You are forgiven. Now live in the light of that. He asks questions. He does miracles. On one occasion, it's from a packed lunch just makes it go further. And on another occasion, it's jars of water and he turns them into wine. He sets people free from the power of evil spirits. There is no formula. And the reason there is no formula is because Jesus always ministers to the person. Phil was saying that when he was talking about apologetics. Don't worry so much about the questions that you forget the person. Jesus didn't worry so much about what needed to happen, miracle or healing or deliverance. He worried about the person. He ministered to the person, and we must never forget that. And this was always an expression of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the place where Jesus is Lord, where the rule of God occurs, where there's no sickness, no evil, 
no death, no sin. That's fundamentally the kingdom of God, and we live in the tension between the times. The now of the kingdom of what we see and experience, and the not yet, looking forward to what we will one day experience in his presence forever. It's good that this is not all there is, isn't it? But it's also good that we see glimpses of his kingdom and his glory and his presence where we are. Jesus called his disciples, we read that in that passage in Mark, and he said these very simple words, follow me. That's all they had to do. That's all we have to do, follow Jesus. At the time of the New Testament, and uh, we've said this before, the rabbis who were looking for disciples chose the best. They chose the best people to be their disciples. And frankly, Jesus seems to be scraping the bottom of the barrel a bit, doesn't he, when it comes to him choosing his disciples. And at the point where a rabbi chose his disciples, he would be asking himself this question. Could these, my disciples, do greater things than me? Maybe if you're a teacher, you sometimes look at your students and think, I wonder if they will amount to greater things than me. You know, a joy of teaching, of educating, is actually people do better than you. The rabbi was saying, can these disciples do greater things than me? Well, you'd look at John chapter 14 with me. It's going to make you work hard this morning. And chapter 12. Jesus is talking to his disciples, the bottom of the barrel ones. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these. Interesting, isn't it? Even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Jesus looked at his disciples and he knew that in the power of the Holy Spirit that they would do greater things. Jesus was in one place for three years, pretty much. We are all over the place, in all manner of senses. <laughs> we are all over the place, internationally, all over the world, throughout every generation, doing the same things that Jesus did in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says we can do greater things, more things than he did. And in Mark chapter 16, and I know this is a controversial passage, but it's in my Bible. It says at the end of Mark chapter 16, verse 17. In fact, let's start at 15. He said to them, the disciples, Go into all the world, preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. Signs and wonders accompanying the gospel to point people to Jesus. Savior and Lord, and the presence of the kingdom of God. It seems that the disciples kind of got this. Because in the time of the early church, sorry, I've forgotten about that. This is what we see. 
post-Pentecost. The Acts of the Apostles, or is it the Acts of the Holy Spirit, or is it actually a partnership, as it always is between us and the Holy Spirit in us? And if we look in Acts chapter 3, we see right after Pentecost, Peter and John going up to the temple at the time of prayer. And there's a man there who's been disabled since birth. He's carried to the temple gate there. And when he sees Peter and John, he does the same that he's been doing every week, every day, every year. For probably most of his life, he says, have you got any money? And Peter and John say these really key words in verse 6. Peter says, silver or gold I do not have. But what I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. And here's something for us to take away, isn't it? That we only have to offer what we have. But we have to offer that in Jesus' name. We may not have everything that people need or want. We have who we are in Jesus and we offer to them in Jesus' name. Well, I don't know if the man still wanted silver and gold after he got healed, but he received what was offered to him in the name of Jesus. So here we are, 2018, and our experience is exactly as I have just described, isn't it? In the school playgrounds, there are people being healed and set free and coming to Jesus, aren't there? In our high street, there are people being healed and set free and coming to know Jesus, aren't there? In your workplace, every day you have those kind of conversations with people, don't you? And you pray for them and they get... Some of you are looking a bit bemused. What about us? What about us? How, exactly how do we fit into this? My question is this. Are we talking about everyday supernatural? Or are we talking about exceptional, extraordinary, very unlikely supernatural? Where would you like to sign up? Number one or number two? <laughs> you answered. Wow. <laughs> Who wants everyday supernatural? Do we want to see the presence of Jesus more in our lives? Do we want to see the power of the Holy Spirit more at work? I'm going to be really honest with you. I really wish that this morning, I left this till the end at the last service, but I'm going to say it now. I really wish that this morning I could have just stood up here and given you 10 stories from my own life over the last six months of speaking to people about Jesus and his kingdom and seeing signs and wonders following and people coming to Christ. I, I bet most of you probably feel like that as well. Maybe some of you should be up here doing that. Is this something that we want? Is this something that we long for? Is it something more than... Uh, occasional occurrence on a Sunday morning in church? Is it more than that? How do we change? Now, everything I'm going to say here is absolutely obvious. All right, so if you come to the end and you go, that was absolutely obvious, I will have succeeded. <laughs> the first thing that we need to do is to press into the presence of God. It's actually just that we need to seek Jesus first. We just need to be close to him. Maybe that's why um, more often than not, people have 
pictures and words in worship is because actually you're making that choice to draw close to Jesus and his presence. Because the power of God cannot be separated from the presence of God. If you stand close to a fire, you get... This is your bit where you answer. <laughs> right, we'll try that again. Thanks for that, Mike. When you, get <laughs> when you stand appropriately close to a fire, you get warm. If you jump in a swimming pool, you get wet, right. <laughs> it's so helpful. If you, uh, if you stay close to Jesus, then his power, his presence, his beauty, his attractiveness, his reality, his love, those things are all present. We are people of God's presence, aren't we? Remember Moses said, unless your presence goes with us, we're not going anywhere. That's still our, still our watchword. Unless your presence goes with us, we're not going. We are people of the presence of God. It's about who we're with that's really important. And I don't know about you because I know that you're, most of you have known you for a really long time are quite like me. You know, we, sometimes we're really close. Like we spend a lot of time, we feel drawn we want it more than anything else. And sometimes, frankly, it's like, hello. <laughs> we just feel so distant. And then we lose confidence, don't we? And, and we lose that sense of authenticity in our lives. We need to draw close into the presence of Jesus. I know some of you have been to Israel. I also have a long time ago. And um, you, get, you go to Jerusalem, of course, and there's the Wailing Wall. You'll have seen it on the telly, won't you? Now, if you're a man, you can get closer to the Wailing Wall than if you're a woman, where you have to just peer over a fence. But the Wailing Wall is the western wall of the original temple of Jerusalem. So when you're there, it is quite awesome to see the wall of the real temple. The real temple where the glory of God came and dwelt. I mean, that's pretty awesome, isn't it? To think that the glory of God touched those stones, actually, literally. But you know what? Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Wow. I mean, that's pretty awesome, isn't it? This is a picture drawn by Charlie Mackesy, who did many of the pictures around the prodigal son. And if you can't see it, I think it's St. Paul's Cathedral. It points and says a building, and then there's a little person, and then it says a temple. Sometimes we mix those two things up. Well, not that we think a person's a building, but you know what I mean? We think that God only dwells in the, temp in the building a bit. have to always be one step ahead of you lot. <laughs> we forget that Christ is in us, the hope of glory. Colossians 1, verse 26 and 27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's you. Not the person sat next, well, the person sat next to you, but you, yeah? That you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You can't acknowledge that Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in us, but there is more, isn't there, to experience and to know of him. 
Now, I just tried to check what was going on with the Australian Open final, which I know is not a really appropriate thing for Sunday morning. But you know what? Roger Federer is there playing Marin Cilic. If the spirit of Roger Federer came to live in you, you would expect your tennis skills to improve markedly, wouldn't you? <laughs> if the Holy Spirit is in us, what is changing? How do we see that? What is happening in us? In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, it says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In the power of the Holy Spirit to do this work that God calls us to. I want to just say two things here. All evangelism requires the supernatural power of God. It isn't like the last three weeks we didn't need the power of God, and then suddenly we do. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts people of sin. It's the Holy Spirit who draws people to Jesus and reveals who he is. It's the Holy Spirit that makes us alive, not dead. The Holy Spirit is the power in this, not just this week's version. And anything miraculous that occurs is to point us to Jesus. John writes in his gospel right at the end, all these signs and wonders and miracles and healings, whatever, I've written them all down so that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Always got to go back there. It's not about the miracles or the healings or the power. It's always about Jesus. So I imagine that some of you are sitting there now thinking to yourself, who, me? <laughs> I don't feel very spiritual I don't really feel like I'm up to the task. Maybe I could be a little bit brave inside the walls of the church, but I'm really not confident that I can be brave outside of the walls of the church. Anyone feeling a bit like that? Who, me? <laughs> yeah, I feel like that too. You know, in the New Testament, and, and, and you know this really, Paul talks about treasure in earthen vessels. In his day, rich people, you know, there wasn't any bank or building society, not even the Yorkshire Building Society. There's no banks and building societies. And so when people had treasure, rich people would put that treasure in some exquisite vase in their house. Because after quite a short while, they realized that when the thieves broke into their houses, they would take the nicest looking vases, which would have all the treasure in them. So they thought again and thought, well, maybe it would be better if we bought cheap pottery off the market that has some flaws in it, maybe a crack or two, might even be broken, certainly doesn't look anything special, and we'll put our treasure in that, because no one will know. And Paul takes that same image, and he says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, that God has put his tre treasure in earthenware vessels. I don't know about you, but I don't really feel most of the time like an exquisite vase that's worth shed loads of money. More often, I feel like a cracked pot. <laughs> but God has chosen to put his treasure, the life of Jesus, in ordinary, everyday people like me and you. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 5, 1 to 5, talks about power expressed in weakness. And if you turn with me to that 
please. One Corinthians chapter two, verse one says, "When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear, and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power." so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. So if you thought that you could get out of this, sorry, you can't. If you feel like a cracked pot, if you feel fearful and trembling and weak, you qualify. You qualify because this is not about us. It's about the power of God in us and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how do we grow in the everyday supernatural? First thing is this. Listening. Listening. That is actively listening to God. We have noticed that when our children do not want to be asked anything, they have their headphones in with music or various other gaming stuff going through them. It's very difficult to shout at your child from a different floor if they had headphones in because they cannot hear you. They are choosing not to be able to hear you. Is that what we're like? Are we actually walking around with our hands over our ears, metaphorically saying, God, don't speak to me. I'm not listening. I don't want you to ask me to do anything. It's too frightening. Are we actively tuned in to listen to God and to what he's saying to us? If we don't listen, we won't know what he wants us to do. Jesus was always listening to what the Father was saying. Are we actively listening to God? Maybe you're asking, well, who am I listening to? There's loads of voices. How do I know? Who is it? We listen supremely through Scripture because the Holy Spirit makes alive God's Word to us. We listen through our experience with God so far. It helps us to feel confident that God has spoken these things before. He might say them again. We listen through other Christians and asking them, do you think this is what God is saying to me? And taking advice, being accountable. We learn to listen because we know who it is. A number of you various times phone me uh, on, on the real phone, the one that doesn't tell me who it is. <laughs> and I pick up the phone and I go, and you say hello, and I go, hello, Kathy, for sake of argument. And, and the person who's Kathy and I goes, how did you know who it was? I'm like, I've known you for 20 years. I know what you sound like. You know, we, many of us in this room have known God a really long time. A really long time. Do we know what his voice sounds like? We know what his voice sounds like. How might we listen? Well, I've said we listen through the Bible, most of all. God speaks to us at times through his creation. He made it. We hear him through looking and at other people and listening to them as well. I want to tell you a story. I have to do it namelessly, so uh, I'll try and get it right. <laughs> couple in our church and uh, they were on holiday 
kind of Mediterranean type on holiday. And they were eating in a restaurant with lots of other people that they were on holiday with. And as they were eating their dinner, uh, the lady looked across to another table and she noticed a couple of people there. And she thought, oh, they, they, don't, they don't look so great. They look a bit upset. So um, she didn't say anything to her husband. She just stood up and went over to them. And the first thing he noticed was that she'd gone. <laughs> and she went over to speak to them. And she said, um, excuse me, I couldn't help but notice that you look a little bit upset. Is it okay if I ask why? Now, at that point, some people might go, thanks for noticing. We don't really want to talk about that. That would be fine. This is not your moment to keep carrying on in. But they said, well, actually, we've just heard that our grandson is really sick back in the UK. We're really worried about him, and it's going to be very complicated for us to be able to get home from holiday. So we feel quite anxious and stressed and upset about this. She said to them, is it okay if I pray for you? Because I believe that God hears our prayers. They said, yeah, that's fine. Now, that would have been brave enough in my book. She had found out that these people were Sikhs that she was talking to. So she said to them, I'd like you to know that I pray in the name of Jesus. Is that okay with you? They said, that's fine. So she took hold of their hands, she prayed for them, and then she went straight back to her table and carried on eating dinner, as if nothing had happened. And then the next day, this other couple came over to them. They said, we noticed what you did yesterday. It was absolutely wonderful. We'd just like to tell you we're Christians. We go to a Baptist church in North Wales. So they were encouraged as well as the people who needed the prayer being encouraged. That's a great story, isn't it? It's a true story. It's a true story about someone that you know in this church. It's actually kind of normalish story. It's kind of something that you kind of think, maybe I could do that if it was a particularly good day. I might be able to do that. They listened to God, and they listened as they looked at the people in front of them. What might it be like? It might be a verse that comes to mind and presses itself on you. It might be that you can't remember the reference. It doesn't matter. It might be a story, something about Jesus, something in the scriptures. And you think, this story is speaking to me. I need to share this with this other person. Maybe it's an image. Sometimes people come up the front here, don't they? They say, I've got this picture I'd like to share with you. Well, it's just the same thing, but outside of the building. Maybe it's a picture that you have that's really clear and you think, I don't know why I've got this picture, but I just need to share it. Maybe it's a particular word that you have, a key word, and it just won't go away. And you've prayed about it, you've offered it to God, you've kind of gone, and you think, I really have to share this word. I don't know why, but I must. Maybe it's even a feeling. Sometimes people have said they've suddenly got real pain in a part of their anatomy that has no reason for having any pain. And they felt that that is God speaking to them about somebody else's pain. And it turns out to be, and they pray for that, and, and God is at work. God speaks in all different ways. The second step is, uh, is obedience. I'm sorry about that. You know, the only way to, to find out whether what you're hearing from God is true is to do something about it, to obey, and then you find out. Generally, the worst thing that can happen, I quite often encourage myself with this thought, is you can be wrong. 
That's generally the worst thing that can happen. Or somebody can say, I'm sorry, I, can't, I don't understand why you've said that word to me. don't understand anything about that. You can feel a little bit embarrassed. That's generally the worst thing that can happen. Obedience, you know, that, that kind of pounding in your heart where you think, oh my goodness, I need to do something about this now. Maybe you kind of feel a bit shaky. Maybe you have this sense of a continual pressure on your spirit that you need to do something with this word that God is saying. A clear sense that you should offer prayer. But listening must be followed by obedience. Otherwise, what is the point? Which kind of leads us to this prayer. Dear God, no matter what happens, give me the heart that is willing to obey you, whatever the cost may be. Love me. I don't know if you're up for that prayer, but it's there for you if you are. And then we have to kind of express our faith, don't we? We just have to go for it. Oh, I don't have very much faith. Sorry, it doesn't matter. Smaller than mustard seed. Mustard seeds are minuscule. You don't need much faith at all. Sometimes God gives you a gift of faith for that particular circumstance. I'm not somebody who regularly prays for healing for people. My mind gets in the way. But every so often, there's this sense that God is in this. It's like a gift of faith to have that, to pray that prayer, which is beyond what I would naturally feel I wanted to do. And faith is like a muscle. If we never use it, it just withers away and gets weak. If we use it in small increments, it grows and it becomes stronger. So when you sense something, do it, because then you'll have a greater sense of what the future might look like. Here's step four. Courage. And here's an encouragement to you. Courage. I have done lots of things in my life, mostly not associated with church, that have been terrifying to me. I have shaken, I have felt sick, I have uh, just everything bad that comes out with doing things that you feel terrified of. But I have done lots of things that I have feel, felt terrified about, because wobbly courage is still courage. Wobbly courage still gets you to do the thing, whatever it might be. I guess lots of you have probably watched that film, We Bought a Zoo. Okay, you should watch it, it's really good. It's about a family who bought a zoo. <laughs> and there's this really brilliant quote in the film. And it says this, you know, sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage. Just literally 20 seconds of embarrassing bravery. And I promise you, something great will come of it. 20 seconds. 20 seconds is all it takes for me to move from sitting to standing. Which might mean that you share something which changes somebody else's life. It might mean that you come forward for prayer that changes your life. It might be the 20 seconds that it takes to go to someone who's a friend and say, I know you're going through a hard time at the moment. Would it be okay if I pray for you? 20 seconds is not a long time, but it's a huge amount of time to change things. Are we up for 20 seconds of insane courage? Of embarrassing bravery. Sorry about the embarrassing bit, by the way. Are we up for the 20 seconds of taking a bunch of cakes 
and giving them to somebody on the street and saying, I'm doing this in the name of Jesus? Are we up for 20 seconds of sitting on a sofa which says, has a sign that says, I will listen to you in case someone might actually want to talk to somebody? Are we up for 20 seconds of listening to God enough that we have the courage to say something to someone that unlocks their life for them and leads them to Jesus? I mean, it's not a lot to ask, is it? 20 seconds. Even I can manage that in my busy schedule. And step five is this. It's fun and a bit crazy. I don't want it all to get too serious. Oh dear, they look really serious. Sorry. <laughs> you know what was wonderful about Chris Duffett coming was that he thinks of things that are fun, things, thinks of things that are attractive to people that they might actually want to engage with. And that's what we've tried to do. Because life's really, really serious. And Jesus came to give us life in abundance, which frankly doesn't sound that serious. So we're going to have a bit of fun and a little bit crazy in order to encourage us to listen to God, to be obedient, to be courageous, to use our faith. And this is the final thing that I am going to say this morning. I think one of the key things in developing everyday supernatural in and out of the church is that we need to wrestle with our own complacency. I need to. You know, it's, our church is lovely, isn't it? It's pretty full. Um, sing nice songs. Um, sometimes there's really powerful encounters with God. And, you know, it's, it's lovely. And I'm okay with it. We do lots of great things in our community. Good kids work and youth work. And, and it's okay. It's nice. So why would I want to do anything scary? Why would I want to go out of my comfort zone? Why would I want to overcome my complacency with what is unless I have a vision of what could be? You know, as I was reading that reading at the beginning, it just struck me that where Jesus was, all the town gathered to see him. Is that not a brilliant vision? That wherever Jesus is, all the town will gather to be close to him, find out who he is, to encounter him. Is that not something that kicks you out of your complacency just a little bit? And right at the end of that reading, it says that he shut the demons up because they knew who he was. You know, the demons know who Jesus is, but many of the people in our town don't. And our role is to be the ones that help them to know who Jesus is. A couple of years ago when we were studying Acts, there was just a key word that kept coming over and over again to us as a church. And that word was more. Just wanting more of Jesus. More of his presence, more of his love in our lives, knowing him more, more of his Holy Spirit filling our lives, transforming and changing us and empowering us, all that God calls us to, more authenticity in our relationship with him, more experience of people being healed, people having their lives unlocked, of signs and wonders that point people to Jesus and salvation in him.
You up for that? A bit more? There's loads more, you know. It's not going to run out because you're like a bit greedy. It, there's more. There's more. So over the, in these next uh, few minutes, guys, too much to say. We are going to worship because that brings us close to Jesus and focuses us on him. And we're going to have the prayer team, prayer team, please. If you're in the prayer team, we might just need you to be in the prayer team. Um, and maybe you need to pray for courage. Maybe you need to ask someone to pray with you that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe you are open to having those words from the Lord that enable you to reach out into situations and open doors for God to be at work. Maybe you're sick this morning in some shape or form and you want to come forward and ask these guys to pray for healing for you. You know, that's okay. We don't mind if you do that, by the way. Because sometimes we need to practice in a safer environment. Perhaps you need to have a new encounter with God because you just feel that sense of complacency within your own heart. There's cushions here that are all stacked up just to make them really, really difficult to access. Maybe you just want to come and kneel at the front of church this morning because actually what you need to do is between you and God. May I challenge you, whether you are sitting exactly where you are, or whether you do something, that you don't do nothing. That wherever you are, whatever you're feeling, wherever you are in your relationship with God, that you do something. It might be very quiet, but that you respond to him in some way. For the sake of our town, our community, our county, UK, the world even. 